Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I am here with my co-host, Kaymelee. Kaymelee. Hey, uh, hey, Karen. Have you ever heard of the theological topic of placemaking before? Listen, I'm really smart, <laughs> and no, I have not. Okay, I have not sweet. heard of it. This will be uh, this will be a good this will be a good episode for you then, because we're talking to Craig Bartholomew, who is a super smart dude and lives in England and went to Oxford and does all kinds of crazy, awesome academic stuff. We also have Dr. David Larson, who recently finished his doctoral work on placemaking. And so I think, Karen, that these guys can help us. Yeah, that's good. They are obviously way smarter than I am. Mm, so I love it. It is time, time to shut my mouth and listen. Roger that. Ready. So you guys enjoy this episode. Today in the podcast studio, I feel like our game just leveled up at least three or four notches. Oh, I'm for sure out of my league in a way that I've never been before. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Karen? Who let me into this room? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got in the studio with us, Dr. David Larson, who is a friend of mine. We go back quite a bit of ways and has been a just a faithful steward of his gifts on the Great Questions team here at Watermark, which is our apologetics ministry, and uh, has done his doctoral work on the idea of placemaking. And so we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But uh, first, I just want to welcome you to the Equipping Podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's good being here. Yeah, heck yeah. And we also have over in the UK... One, Dr. Craig Bartholomew, who is the director of the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology in Cambridge, which is a totally awesome organization that I'm getting more familiar with. But uh, we're really grateful for your willingness to join us on the podcast. So welcome. Uh, thank you, Nathan. And it's a great pleasure to be with you. I appreciate it. So I think to get us started in the conversation, whenever someone says placemaking, a lot of times this is a blank stare. A lot of people are like, what are you talking about? That so, was me and Nathan about a month ago. So if that's you, you're not alone. Totally. So we totally recognize that that is pretty common, that people would not know what this is. So I'm going to set it up by just introducing it into the biblical narrative, and then these guys can correct me to tell me where I'm, where I'm right and wrong. David, in conversations with you, I didn't really understand placemaking either until I became your friend and you're working on this dissertation and I'm like, hey man, I'm, this is really intriguing. I started to grasp it when I was like, okay, you have in Genesis 1, when you open the Hebrew Bible and start page one, line one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void. And there's this idea of raw material that God has created, but it needed to be shaped and formed. And so you have in the six days of creation, you go from formlessness to form and from voidness to filling God's creation. And then the seventh day is intentionally left open, which is a pointer for us that we're living in this ongoing creative activity that God has co-labored with us as his images to go, hey, 
I want you to partner with me. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over it. So I think about the raw material of a city. So you're driving down the road. And if you ever think about it, you're like, man, I wonder what this would have looked like before there was this massive highway here. I wonder what uh, was there before that building was there. And so there's this idea of space where there's actual like the potentiality for something. And then there's the actual working with like physically working with the materials that are available to us to make that space into a certain kind of place. And of course, that is, that's what Genesis is doing, right? And so there's space, which is potential, and there's room to shape and form it. And then there is the actual work that is making that space into a certain type of place. So, all right, guys, is that a fair introduction to placemaking? Uh, yes, you know, uh, I think that's good, Nathan. So, <laughs> well done. <laughs> Place is a bit like Zoom. Zoom, it's now ubiquitous. And place is the same. It's everywhere. It's so much part of our experience that we often don't even notice it. But, you know, to be a human being is to be limited to one place. And part of David and my work is to help people to become conscious of it and to see it. So, you know, one can approach uh, the vocabulary one uses in different ways. But if you just look at the first verse of the Bible that you read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those are two different places. So there's place right in the first verse of the Bible. What you have unrolling in Genesis 1 is the differentiation and development of the earth into multiple places. And in Genesis 1, that is in particular the land, the seas, and the sky. If one just reads uh, Genesis at a very basic level, place is there in the first verse, and then what unfolds in, in the rest is 1, 1 to 2, 3, and then God fills those places with inhabitants. So, you know, you start to see that if we actually just read the Bible, you know, <laughs> uh, play, place is pretty much front and center. Yeah. And now, of course, you know, maybe we are aware of that, but we've just never used the term place. But I think it is a very useful term. And I think that just shows that uh, in the Bible, uh, place is uh, fundamentally important. And we could not operate or live as human beings apart from this creation of place by the Lord God. Mm, That's good. It feels like what you're saying is we're clearly limited to our uh, material bodies, Mm. but that our bodies are living in a place that God has formed, that he's created, if you want to call it like zones. I know that word has helped me before, Mm. where it's like, hey, this is the zone of the land, and this is the zone of the sea, and they function differently, right? They have different Mm -hmm. creatures on them. Mm. This is the zone of the sky. This is the, you know, the zone of the heaven above the heavens. Mm. Um, Again, like you said, the heavens and the earth. 
But like you said, this is so commonplace for us. It's like telling a fish in water that the water is wet. The fish has always lived in the water, always has experienced the wetness of it, but doesn't really know like, oh, water is wet. And so I think, David, I'll, I'll toss it over to you. Like when we're talking about placemaking, it can be intuitive, but why does this matter? Like why should we care? Yeah, so if I could just back up a little bit. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to. <laughs> it helps me when I'm trying to introduce this topic to people who have not really thought on it, that it's, it's kind of as common as time is common and space, time and space. Yep. Time we divide up and classify and called history and space we kind of divide up and call place. Uh, so I like thinking of place as having three parts. It's located somewhere. Mm-hmm. It also has at that GPS coordinate a locale. So there might be trees, there might be a chair, there might be cars going by, a billboard. And then third, it has a sense of place. And that is probably the most important one and the most overlooked one. So that sense of place might be, as we see in Genesis 1, as God is actively involved in making this into his place. Mm -hmm. It says multiple times he saw And when he saw, then he's evaluating and repeatedly says, ah, this is good. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I like this. (laughs) Probably went just like that. (laughs) Maybe more like that, yeah. (laughs) I I, I tend to see it that way. Yeah, yeah, At least for me that by the time, and right before it says it's very good, it it says, hine, which I kind of translate as, oh, wow, this is very nice. (laughs) (laughs) That suggests... It has a sense of place. Yeah. Some places are painful. Some places are happy. It might be where you celebrated your first Christmas after your baby was mm-hmm. born. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, for you, a happy sort of thing. So all three components are always, always there. Yeah, when I think of like the sense of place, I think of just a year and a half ago when I graduated from Biola, I took my family out to L.A. to graduate And we went to Disneyland, right? And my kids walk in and that has the sense of place there is really potent, right? Yes. You're at Disneyland. Yeah, exactly. And they specialize even in fragrances. Yes. There's a connection between sense of smell and your memory and and that building the sense of place. So so all three of those are happening in Genesis 1. You have a location, the cosmos. Mm. You have a locale, which is the world. Uh, the trees, the Hebrew text says the creepy things, the things that that are creeping. <laughs> that crawl. That crawl. Yeah. And you have the locale, and it says that they're multiplying and swarms of them, and you get the idea of... Yeah, yeah, if you feel it. You yeah. feel it. And the heat of the sun, which is ruling by the day, and the coolness of the night as the moon is ruling by the night, and you get all these things that words are flat, Yeah. but the referent that those words were pointing to were vibrant and meaningful, and it was a place. Yeah. So that's the first thing I would add. The second thing is places are different than space, in my opinion, which is just, it's meaningless. It's there, yeah. but there's no meaning attached yeah, to it. Yeah, place yeah. has meaning. So a place- But space has, would you say space has potential? Space has potential. I think of it more as Euclidean, that if you You're could, gonna have to define that like, word. Well- <laughs> 
okay, it's it's imagine yourself in space. All right, all right, that's we're better. There. We're there, Good. and you're looking out the window. There's uh -huh. nothing around. Yeah. There's nothing except stars far, far away, and this arrow comes floating by. Yeah, I don't know how it got there. Uh, but it's my story, so it's there. Yeah, it's it's, good. The arrow's floating by, and it's just a straight arrow. It's meaningless. It's, it has no beginning, has no end, it has no reference point. That's kind of space. It's just. But I'm intrigued by your story. Well, thank you. I want to know how the arrow got there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'll be episode three. <laughs> That's episode three. Okay, got it. The return of the arrow. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, a place is open, people can come and go, but it is bounded. Yeah. There's a certain, it's not like infinite. It's three-dimensional, and uh, it involves perspective. So uh, what do I think about it? Genesis 1, I like it. What, what did the man and woman think about it? We don't know, but apparently they probably liked it. Mm -hmm. What are the readers and listeners to this? What do they think about Genesis 1? I suspect most of them like it, but for sure, God did. Yeah. Mm. And so it involves a perspective. Yeah. And um, lastly, I would say that's place. Place making is a verb of constructing that sort of stuff to your illustration of putting a highway yep, in. Right, okay, right. Making this space a certain kind of space. Yeah. Yep. And so why, why is this a big deal? So I hear you. I'm like, yes, that is a place. That makes sense. It feels obvious. It feels like I can grasp that. And so... Why should we care? And what made y'all interested in this in the first place? Because it does feel like, yeah, okay, that's a place Scott made it. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. And so help us understand. Thank you, David, for those good insights. And that's such a good question. So place is, is a multi-layered concept. So it's not just a simple one. But the thing about place and your illustration of the highway is a very good one. So some kind of place was there before the highway went in. But then what humans do is they form places. So, and I mean, if you think of roads and the millions and millions of kilometers and miles of concrete and tar highways across the world, you start to get a sense of just how powerfully humans form places. Now, so humans form places, but the reverse is also true. Places form humans. It's not unusual, for example, for a psychiatrist to use a kind of a pleasant pastel green color in their offices because that's relaxing mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. All of us will know in our homes that there's a way of doing a home so that it's conducive to rest and refreshment. Whereas homeless people would tell us that to live out in the streets or in homelessness makes rest and refreshment very difficult indeed. So, so this is the one point, is a place is a profoundly human thing. We form places but they form us. Mm. And some of us in the West have now discovered, Nathan, that those concrete highways may not have been the best idea. <laughs> because as technology advances, we have these mega sophisticated cars. And in big cities, when we're not in a pandemic, we sit bumper to bumper for hours. Mm. 
commuting to work and back. And we all know that that's unbelievably stressful. We know there's things like road rage. Well, there's an example of we form places, but they form us. Yeah, that's good. Mm. Okay, negatively, but it can also do it very positively. Now, the thing that must not be lost in this, if you want a psalm for the psalm of place, in my opinion, is Psalm 104. It really just celebrates God's creative work in all the sorts of different places. And one could go through that. And I encourage listeners to go through Psalm 104 and just highlight, as I did earlier, every place that occurs there. Now, at the end, it says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Mm. Now, what are those works? Well, according to the psalm, they're all the places that he has made in the creation. Yeah, the heavens, the mountains, the trees, the... Yeah, but also it also refers to, uh, you know, wine, so mm. agriculture, bread, mm. very human cultural activities that involve humans forming places. So the point is this, God doesn't just rejoice in his initial creation, he wants to rejoice in the way we humans have developed his creation. Yes, it's good. So it's a really good question. When you're driving on that highway and you're reflecting on what used to be there, you might also want to ask yourself, I wonder if the Lord rejoices in what we've done in this placemaking. It's good. You know, so this is a very, very interesting thing. May the Lord rejoice in his work. So the well-being of humans and animals, because what we do with place has a profound effect, not just upon us, but the environment and animals. So the well-being of humans and animals and the world is at stake, but so too is the glory of God. Mm. And I think, to get back, the reason we don't see this is because we still think of humans in the evangelical tradition as primarily souls or spirits, not as embodied human beings. Amen, brother. <laughs> the minute you recover embodiment, mm -hmm. you can only be a body in a place. Yep. But we have this kind of dualistic thing that we're spirits, that it's all about going off to hang out in the clouds and listen to harp music. <laughs> but if we could just recover the view of the human person as three-dimensional embodied, then immediately place comes into view. Yeah, absolutely. I was with our institute the other day teaching them about, uh, we were going through image of God stuff. And mm. I was telling them, I was like, hey, well, a lot of times, especially in the West and post-enlightenment, like you said, this dualism between body and soul that immaterial aspects of the image of God have been overemphasized mm. at the expense of the material aspects of it. And I just told him, I said, if you're doing good biblical theology, the baseline fundamental aspect of the image of God is that it's a physical creature, mm. like in the ancient world, like an idol. And we went through like how Genesis 2 has, the Lord is sticking his hands in the dirt and pulling up these dirt creatures. It's this very beautiful picture of God in 
the material world shaping material beings and then he breathes mm. his animating spirit into the human being mm. and so i'm like what you're saying right now is so extremely important for our audience because i think so many of us either downplay or we just have never thought about the fact that fundamental to bearing the image of god is that we are a physical being that's a huge deal you just tapped into Nathan's heart language. Uh, I mean, <laughs> because because at the heart of Christianity is not, like he said, going out to some celestial sky palace yeah. and listening to heart music. Which it's would be awful. Totally. <laughs> Damn, that sounds more like hell than <laughs> But instead is the physical resurrection of our bodies. It's the physical resurrection of the whole creation, right? That's the mm. Christian hope. Yes, but I think this has to be recovered and then worked through. Mm, good. So, you know, another place to go to is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. So, having unpacked in exquisite detail the good news of Jesus in Romans 1 to 11, Paul says, well, what is the response we make? And the response, and he uses priestly metaphors here, just like Christ is the priest who offers the sacrifice, but is himself the sacrifice. Mm. So we are called to offer a sacrifice and to be the sacrifice. But what is it that we offer? Paul reaches for a very interesting term, our bodies, mm. which is a, a metaphor for the totality of our embodied selves. Once one can get that back into place, you start to see, if I'm embodied, then I'm in a place. Well, how am I doing in that place? What am I doing with that place? And that matters for my well-being, my neighbor's well-being, and for the glory of God as I image him in his creation. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah, so I would love to just go back to a couple of things that you said. So just to help our listeners just with repetition, you said humans form places, but places also form humans. And so that's really helpful for us to understand, especially what's going on in Genesis 1 and some of the mandates that humanity is given. And so... Yeah, I would say, to summarize that, I would say place is not neutral. Yeah. Like, it's it's actively forming us in a certain way. And I think we have to think about how are we forming place, but then also, what is place doing to me? Right. And how does that influence how I'm going to form place elsewhere. It's easy to think of even in terms of like, oh, I'm going to go to this college. And when I go to this college, this is a physical place and it's going to influence me in some way where I would come out different than if I went to a different university. Right, right. And so if we go back to Genesis 1, we would say God is a place maker. That's mm, what you correct. said he's doing in Genesis 1. And so if he, if he creates us in his image, then we too are place makers. And so I loved that you said that God's glory is at stake in our placemaking because it's not ever a concept that I've really considered. And so what that tells me is that placemaking has deeply influenced much of Scripture and therefore should influence our understanding of Scripture. And yep. so help me see how placemaking has influenced your view of God, your view of theology. And I would love for both of you to answer that. It's a broad question, so take it where you will, but just help us understand. Well, I think it helps to realize that not only by being in the image of God, who was a placemaker, that we are placemakers. 
But we are commanded in Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28 to be involved in making the world God's place. So we're to subdue and to rule, fill the place, mm-hmm. which gets to issues of human purpose, human sexuality, yeah. the how does sexuality re- relate to purpose, and a subdue and rule. So all of that is in the context of, use my example, God's basically saying, use, here's, here's what I've done, so it's not going to be like an oppressive rule. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to be a pretty spectacular situation. So it gets to, to the question of not just that's who we are, but that is expected of us on what we are now supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And that thought drives and runs the entire rest of the whole Bible. Yeah. It's never rescinded. This is what we are to be doing. Yeah. Which is mind-blowing, because I'm sitting here going, and I missed it? Like, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? Uh, what? <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. And it's really helpful to understand, hey, placemaking is helping us understand who we are and what we should be doing, not just... Genesis 1 and 2, but they're on out. If we were having this conversation in the times of the Old Testament and in the times of the early parts of the New Testament before Neoplatonism hit, we wouldn't have missed it. Yeah, yeah. But we did because of other philosophical shifts that were happening around us. Yeah, so Craig, why don't you just high-level walk us through the development of that? Yeah, so because I think this is so tremendously important that we've missed this. I think that question that was just asked, how have we missed this, really should be a tremendous shock to us. Yes. Because it tells us a lot about the sort of Western Christianity that we are part of. So, you know, there's so many ways into this. Let's just take mission. Okay, so uh, all good evangelicals like us are deeply, deeply committed to mission. Now, let's use my definition of mission as telling forth the good news of Jesus in both word and deed. Now, evangelicals have been, uh, well, I don't know if I'd use the word good, but they've certainly been voluminous in terms of words. So That's a good way of saying uh, they won't shut up. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well it's just we, we are renowned for being a people who speak and speak and speak and speak. Now, as one sociologist has pointed out, Peter Berger, the problem for us in the West now is that there's no backdrop against which those words make sense and compel people to listen. This is what Peter Berger calls a plausibility structure. In other words, there's a life and a a lived experience that is so compelling and authentic that it causes people to take seriously what we say. So my, my example of this is one of my heroes, Mother Teresa. And I often would ask my students, how is it that Mother Teresa could go to the Clinton White House and lambaste them over abortion, and they listened to her. 
Whereas if Craig Bartholomew tried to do that, I'd probably be carried out by the security. Secret <laughs> Service and be phoning David Larson to come and rescue me from <laughs> a, a very a very unenjoyable place, I imagine. You know? And the reason is that her life had such credibility yeah. that they had to listen. Now, it's not a question of whether we make place or not. If you're human, you are involved in placemaking. Mm. The only question is, are you conscious of it or not? You can't not do it. It just comes with it comes with being embodied. Yep. So the problem is most of us are unconscious of it, so we just do it like every other American does it, yep. which is fatal. Yep. Because then we're not engaging with it critically and thinking, how do I do this so that God is imaged in my placemaking? So, if mission is in deed and word, then placemaking holds enormous potential for shoring up the plausibility structure of our Christian witness. Now, let me just give you an example. There's one denomination in America that has well over 25,000 churches, and who knows how many properties they own. I've often said to people from that denomination, imagine if every one of those churches developed their properties intentionally as a place to reflect God, how that would enhance the witness of God's people. Can I ask you some examples of when you say, hey, if they were to create a property that would represent God, what is in your mind when you're saying that? Well, uh, you know, you just have to, so that's a very good question. I love these questions. When a church acquires a property, what do they do? They build on it. They tend to establish some sort of garden. So then we would have to get into the question, what type of building do you build? What kind of architecture will best serve our purposes as well as witness to the community. So, you know, I've come from South Africa, and when I was writing my book on place, I put in two pictures from churches in Durban. Now, the one had all the appearance of a horrible factory. So every day, citizens of Durban are driving past that. The big notice board is out there saying, this church... And the architectural witness is factory, functional, boring, place doesn't matter. And then an orthodox group in Durban built something that any neighborhood would absolutely be amazed to have in their neighborhood. Now, I'm not suggesting we ought to build like that. Right. David and I are not arguing for the Ritz as the high point of placemaking. But should you? <laughs> I'm very interested in placemaking and the poor. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just interesting, because even as you're talking, my head's going back to cathedrals in, in Europe. In making that place, they are demonstrating glory and power, and they're making, in some ways, like a spectacle they're just making you notice it. Yeah. And that was intentional. Yeah, I think I also think about some of the work that we're doing in South Dallas. That was different than what I was thinking. 
totally. But, but, uh, but I'm thinking yeah. about it in terms of because the initiatives and efforts that we have going on in South Dallas are bringing something to South Dallas that is secure, right. is a place of uh, resource and development. It's a place that people are increasingly looking at going, hey, if you want this type of help, like yeah. they're over there. And that is placemaking. Well, and what's interesting is if you put a building different than that, it would be out of place. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) I would just advance the conversation a little bit, too. It doesn't simply involve buildings, Mm -hmm. and it certainly doesn't simply involve churches. It involves even structures. Oh, totally. Systemic policies. If sense of place is important, then issues like biblical justice— should permeate a city. Right. Yep. The Christians need to be on board with doing what it takes so that the neighbors feel that we are really, really committed to biblical justice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. We, we would be committed to feeding people. Mm. We would be helping people that are addicted. And it's not just the deed, yep. it's the sense that, oh, this is a place that cares. Right. Right. That's placemaking as well. Mm. That's good. And so take us back to why we missed it. It's a tremendously important question. It's also a complex one. You can trace in the history of, of thinking, or to use the academic term philosophy, the way in which in the world place was almost entirely lost sight of. And let me just give you one clue as to why that is so. So Nathan uh, began this conversation by distinguishing between space and place. I would reverse those terms and start with place and then refer to space as an abstract mathematical concept of place. Okay, let me just repeat that. Certainly in human experience, we don't experience space, we experience place. And then space develops as a mathematical abstraction from our lived experience of place. Now, what happened in modernity was abstraction became the royal route to the truth about the world. So what we lost sight of increasingly was our lived experience. So, I mean, the minute you take lived experience seriously, you're looking at my garden, the birds in my garden, the way I'm developing my garden, whether your church has indigenous plants or not, so that the church property becomes well known in the neighborhood for its verdant bird life, because you've deliberately making it's a hospitable place for the whole creation. You know, those are brilliant, simple ways. I mean, you can start the tremendous thing with place. It's so practical. You can start tending to it today in a whole host of ways. It's also very complex. But in modernity, we increasingly thought we can't trust our lived experience. The royal road to truth is abstraction. Mm-hmm. So we thought the main thing is the concept of space as a mathematical abstraction rather than the rich textured lived experience of place. Mm. Now, unfortunately, 
a Christian sociologist says of evangelicals that one of our, well, for better or for worse, we adapt to culture very quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a strength, but it's also a tremendous danger. So it means we take on, we adjust to modernity, but if you're not careful, we take on all the toxins as well, not just the good stuff. And so in modernity, we've lost sight of place. Think of now a symptom of this is the environmental crisis. You know, how do you end up with an environmental crisis? Well, that's because it doesn't matter what you do with place. Mm. You can just ransack and destroy and plunder And now we've started to realize that has consequences, that if you fill the oceans with all our disposable plastic, eventually that comes knocking up on your own door. And in Britain, we've discovered that even the bottled water we buy is full of microplastics. Mm -hmm. So this this is, we form place, but it's like throwing a boomerang. And if you're not watching, this thing comes back and whacks you over the head with unprecedented force. So Christians have got to recover. They've got to take the best from modernity, and there's lots that's good about the modern world, but they've got to engage critically with the culture. And we need one of the best things we could do is recover the doctrine of creation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where Nathan began. And, and, And as we saw, if you just read the text, it's opening all these dimensions up to you But we've put glasses on. All of us read the Bible with our glasses that we get from our culture, our churches, and all things. And if you're not careful, you just read things into the Bible, and then you read them out again. Preach. And this is why the pastoral ministry of the church is so important. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday, the pastor, in one way or another, should be saying, check those glasses of yours. Yep. You know, they look a bit hazy and uh, muddy to me. Let me polish them and clean them with the wonderful word of Scripture so that you can start to see the world for what it is. And, And if I can just finish with this point with one thing, let me show you how this works in our worship. So I think I understand what this chorus means, but it embodies, if we're not careful, the worst of what we're talking about. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And then what happens? The things of the earth grow strangely dim. Now, I know what that means. I mean, it means that centering ourselves in Christ puts perspective. But the biblical approach is turn your eyes on Jesus and the world comes into proper focus. Yeah, good. Well, that's a great way to stop this conversation because we are about to move into episode two of this where we're going to walk through the biblical narrative and uh, highlight all the places where it talks about placemaking which is sounds like is going to be all over the place yeah and it's really really important (laughs) yeah exactly so stick with us we're going to be back next time with craig and david as we continue this conversation on placemaking Woo! Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. As always, if you liked it, just text it to everybody that you know. Everybody. We would really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give us a good rating. Tell your friends. If you have questions, send us an email. At equippingpodcast at watermark.org. That's helpful information. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Peace. Peace.